Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. You may save for years to help pay for your kids to go to college, but what happens when they get there? Will they have the skills to succeed or know where to find the right resources to help them figure out this new life transition. Nicole Martinez has spent her entire career in academia helping prepare kids to have a successful college career. Nicole currently works in the Exploratory Advising Office at Purdue University Northwest. Additionally, Nicole has taught strategies for academic success in career and professional development courses that help kids develop the skills they need to succeed, such as how to study, time management, and test taking. Throughout our conversation, Nicole provides direct tactic and strategies for both students and parents on how to navigate this new life transition. Parents need to continue paying attention to their kids' work throughout college. It's essential for parents to get proxy rights to access student files, which are especially critical when it comes to the mental health aspects of their children. A critical takeaway from our conversation for parents and students would be this. Don't be afraid to ask for help. There are resources available on college campuses such as career centers, academic advisors, and professors who have open office hours who want to help make this a successful transition. Please enjoy my conversation with Nicole Martinez. Nicole Martinez, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have been really excited about having this conversation with you uh, because we are going to talk about one of the things that I get most asked about or asked often about. And considering that I have a set of, you know, 11-year-old triplets and a nine-year-old, so I'm not, they're not quite college age yet, but College is always a hot topic when it comes to the to the world that, that I live in, which is with wealth planning. So um, I've been really excited about uh, having you on and having this conversation. Well, great. Well, I'm excited to, to share my insight. So I think the, the best place to start is to give our audience a little bit of background about um, who you are and then kind of walk us through specifically um, what you do in the field of, of higher education at, um, at Purdue? Sure. Um, so my background initially started in, um, so the work that I do is I currently is I work in advising. So I work with a lot of students who are undecided about a major. So I start there because when I first went off to college, I wanted to be an elementary ed major. And then I had um, a work-study experience where I worked at an alternative ed um, high school and really enjoyed the interactions that I had with the high school students there. Even though I was doing an after-school program for elementary ed students, I decided to switch my major to high school, to secondary ed. And from there, I did my student teaching, graduated. And while I was in college, I also worked as um, a student ambassador, giving campus tours and worked in the admission office. And that led to my first professional job um, after graduation, actually, which was working in undergraduate admission. And that was supposed to be a temporary thing and led to 13 and a half years later um, because I just continued to love what I, you know, what I did was working with families and students through that whole college application and search process, explaining to them um, about financial aid and scholarships and loans and grants. Um, That's the part that I really loved because I'm a first-generation college graduate. And a lot of that information I was not aware of and I didn't really fully understand um, when I went off to college or when I did my own search. And 
um, almost two years ago, I decided to switch to the other side of the house and work with students after enrollment. Um, while I worked in admission um, at Valpo, I had the opportunity to teach uh, a first year seminar course um, called Strategies for Academic Success. And it's a course that teaches students all of the skills that we assume that students entering college already come equipped with. Things like study skills, time management, um, test-taking strategies, note-taking. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, students would often say on student panels at, you know, admission days when parents would ask, you know, what's the one piece of advice you, I ha you have for my son or daughter? And they would say, time management, studying. I had to learn how to study when I got to college. And so that course led to me teaching a graduate course as well called um, Career and Professional Development. And those teaching experiences led me to my current job because I wanted to switch to the other side <clears throat> and work more closely with students after they enrolled. I, I helped students gain access to college. Now I wanted to see them more fully on the other side of what their college transition looked like. Um, in my um, graduate and postgraduate studies, I'm really passionate about um, student retention, student persistence, and degree completion. And so that's why I really wanted to switch hats and work fully um, full-time with academic affairs. And so currently I am a lecturer and career advisor, academic advisor um, for students who are exploratory. And exploratory means that they are unde undeclared as far as a major goes or undecided. And a lot of universities have switched to calling those students uh, exploratory because it sounds a little bit more, you know, positive than saying, I have no idea what I want to do with my life or what major <laughs> I want to do. So, um, yeah. So in, in, in addition to my advising, I teach a first year seminar course specifically for um, students who are exploring majors. So that's a little bit about me. Well, that was that's there's a lot to unpack there and and we're going to start diving into 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 those details. It's interesting that you brought up this whole study skill, time management, test taking ability because one of the very first guests I had on the show years ago um was a, a, a woman by the name of Sandy Hottie and um as most people know, I'm based here in, in Metro Detroit and she taught in one of the low one of the larger um, local high school school districts. And that was one thing that she struggled with. She was, she taught honors classes, AP classes that she was really struggling with was her ability to help teach these skills to, um, her students because the, the district itself wasn't promoting these things. So she ended up taking an early retirement and, creating created her own company where that's what she does. She works with kids and trying to get them prepped for college, kind of maybe along the same lines that you were talking about in your um, uh, admissions role. And then obviously this, this class that you taught. So I'll definitely want to go down that road right now, because even though my, my triplets will be our fifth grade now, they'll be in middle school, sixth grade next year. That is the one thing that I'm very concerned about at an early age for them is how do they develop these skills? Because, you know, in, in a lot of elementary schools today, they don't assign homework. So how do the kids ever get prepared for that transition from elementary school to um, high school and then from high school to college? And then, you know, then once you're in college, it's like, it's, it's a whole new world. Right. Right. Yeah, that, and that, that's usually the first question I ask when we talk about study skills in my classes that I've taught. I ask students, you know, when did you first learn how to study or how did you or how do you study? And a lot of times they can't recall when they were taught how to study. You know, it's maybe they make flashcards or, you know, um, they just go back and they highlight and they don't know how to properly highlight either. And my husband teaches fifth grade and, and I've asked him that same question. I said, do you do you teach your students how to study? And he's like, no, I, I don't actually. So we've, we've had conversations around that as well. So I think it's, even though your triplets are, are 11 right now, um, you know, studies will show that students um, who are well-equipped or, or are college bound, it's usually determined by like eighth grade. So that's why a lot of um, the work that I've done 
when I worked in admission, um, even went back to even presenting and talking with eighth graders, you know, and talking about what is college and just, you know, explaining to them all the terminology and college lingo and just getting them familiar with what that is. So that way they're just more equipped going into that first year, that ninth grade year of high school. So I had a lot of teachers who would reach out to me in the area principals who would ask me to come and speak with their entire eighth grade classes, um, which is fun because some of those are really big middle schools. So it's, it's interesting. Did you, in your first role as uh, admissions counselor, did, did you have the, the freedom to explore helping kids that, that, that were coming to you that you saw had a skill deficiency? And if so, like what, what were the um, tools, I guess, or capabilities that the you know college or university that you were at? I think you said you were at Valpo. Mm-hmm. What what did what did they offer? Yeah, so for students who you know come in, and I can't speak to every university, but you know at Valpo specifically, if we saw that students were coming in with a lower academic profile, you know we had this this strategies for academic success course for students to be encouraged to take. It wasn't a required course, um, but we would have, I mean, I'm trying to think how many sections we would have. It was more popular in the fall because a lot of students were proactive and wanted to take it that first semester. And so we would have anywhere from eight to 10 sections in the fall semester. And Valpo is a smaller university. And so for, for us Nicole, to have- can I, can I interrupt you for one second? Sure. Because we're, we're both Midwesterners and yeah. I know a lot of people listen to my podcast nationwide. They might not know what Valpo is. So sure, sure. <laughs> so Valparaiso University is is located in Northwest Indiana. So we're about it's about an hour outside of Chicago. Okay, very good. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that the audience knew that we were talking about Valparaiso. Yeah. So yes, yes, yeah. Now Valpo High School, you know, yeah. So absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a small um, private Lutheran. Uh, large school in in the Midwest, basically Northwest Indiana. So, um, but yeah, so we would have sections of this course that we would offer. So students who were, again, lower academic profile coming in, uh, we wanted to be proactive and um, share with them this course was an opportunity for them. It was a one, you know, one credit course. And it's an opportunity for them to really fine tune their um, skills and ensure that they start off on the right foot um, and build a strong foundation um, of academic skills to prepare them. And I always told students when they took the course with me, this course will help you be successful in your other courses. It really is supplemental um, to helping them just in their overall college success. And um, I would I would oftentimes not, you know, I'd have students who weren't even freshmen taking this class, whether it was they needed one more credit for graduation or whatever, but a lot of those upperclassmen students who took it, whether they were a junior or senior or sophomore, they would always say, wow, I wish I would have taken this course sooner. These skills will help me go when I'm going on to law school. I had a student who was student body president who took the class for senior year and she loved the course and she took a lot of um, skills from that, that particular course to help her go on and prepare for law school. Um, that's specifically what she shared at the end of the semester with the class and what she gained from it. And it was always good to have upperclassmen in the course too, because then they can share some words of wisdom and advice for students um, taking the course. Now, for those who took it in the second semester, um, maybe they weren't able to take it first semester, or maybe they were a student athlete and their coach was recommending that they take it, um, or a student's academic advisor would recommend that they take it um, if they were struggling academically specifically, a lot of students would take it that second semester. Okay. Can, can you, and in teaching this, these, this course or these courses, mm-hmm. could you hone in on like one or two or, or more topics if, 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 if needed to elaborate on what kids should actually be doing? And then as a follow-up, how, because I'm interested from a parenting standpoint, probably just like you are with, with young kids, how, how, how being, how I should be interacting with my kids as a parent when it comes to this, because like I said, right now, I'm extremely nervous about this transition that, that my triplets are going to be going through when they go from elementary to, to middle school next year. I think, I think we're all in for a rude awakening at this point. 
Yeah. So you're saying as far as um, the academic preparation for college? Yeah. And and really diving into those, how, how do you study? Like, how do you develop study skills? Because I'll give you an example. I was a pretty much a straight A student in, in high school and I never had to learn to study. It came pretty natural and um, I, I, w- I was lucky. And when I got to my first semester of, of college and I was in an engineering program uh, back in 1994, uh, it, was, it was an eye-opening experience. And I felt like I was drowning. Like I went from like, you know, getting A's with, with no effort to getting C's and like really, really struggling. And that, that was, that was an eye-opening experience that I, I never thought I'd, you'll have. Yeah. My, my advice is for parents to really pay attention. I know as, as a parent, I'm a working parent and I have two kids and while they're almost five and eight, they're, you know, they have, my oldest has some schoolwork to do and homework to do. Um, but really paying attention to the work that the students, uh, your students are doing in school and areas of maybe where that they're, they're a little bit more challenged. Maybe they're not doing, you know, poorly in, but maybe courses that are challenging to them or subjects that are challenging. I say this because my husband does tutoring outside of his teaching career and he, he tutors, you know, students in kindergarten through eighth grade and his specialty is math. And, um, so, I mean, families will seek him out who are from our, our neighbor, our neighborhood to, um, neighboring counties to down in Indianapolis. And so for parents to really invest in tutoring services, if you, you know, if you have something like that, and if you're not sure, sure where to start, a parent simply asked my husband, you know, you know, my student, he teaches fifth grade, um, came to my husband and said he could really use some tutoring. Do you do any tutoring? You know? And so that's kind of how it started. My husband started tutoring some of his own students after school. Um, and that, that has really helped students go on to like the next great level. You know, a lot of teachers are trying to fit so much into a day's, you know, classroom um, and coursework. It's hard to, to get everything. And I think that allows students to tap into there because he individualizes his tutoring sessions. It's per whatever subject or areas of, you know, challenge or struggle for that particular student. So that way they can be successful. He knows what's needed in that next grade level. So I would say for parents to tap into, you know, those resources inside the classroom at your school. Um, I have had some parents reach out to me when I worked um, at Valpo who would say, do you have any college students who are willing to I was just to going tutor. to ask you that. <laughs> I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. And college students are always looking to make money, you know? And so um, I've had some students who were college students who tutor as well. Um, and so I always tell my students networking is so key, not just for careers, but, you know, in your academics as well. And that just helps, you know, when a student is a tutor, it helps them fine tune, fine tune and practice those skills over and over again as well. So when students get to college, um, the advice I give to them and to their parents is to make sure that you're aware of all of the academic support resources like tutoring, supplemental instruction, or they call them SI sessions. And for those who aren't aware of what SI is or a supplemental instruction, the way, excuse me, I explain that is simply is it's it's led by a peer tutor. It's almost like group tutoring. It's a, a peer um, student who's already been you know successful. They've taken that class. They've been successful in it. Oftentimes, SI leaders are you know their students who are recommended by the faculty who teach that particular course. So if it's a nursing student and they need to take anatomy and physiology, they may have an SI leader in addition to their instructor for their course and their instructor for the lab. And then they have that, <clears throat> that SI leader um, or some institutions will have TAs or teaching assistants. Um, these again are peer students who've been successful in the class who can give you some additional insight as far as what to expect on an exam. And that's another thing when students are, are coming to me and when we talk about study skills, <clears throat> I tell them to seek out tutoring um, because sometimes a peer-to-peer interaction, that peer can explain it in a way that maybe the faculty member didn't, um, in terminology that makes sense from one peer to another. Um, 
And, you know, again, I know for some students, the classroom space, the, the instruction goes so fast and so quickly because there's so much material to cover. And, and so, you know, in my office specifically at Purdue Northwest, um, we have tutoring and SI within our office suite. So we have walk-in tutoring sessions, um, as well as students can schedule one-on-one appointments, some group tutoring as well. Um, so those are some resources as far as like getting started. It's just really paying attention and talking to the, the teachers. I know like when we go to parent teacher conferences, my background is not elementary ed. So my husband is usually the one talking to my son's teacher and explaining to me because it sounds like a foreign language to me. Whereas like when we talk about college stuff, he's like, okay, that's, that's your space. You understand that more than I do. Um, and so that's, that's my advice is really to tap into the teacher, what's available and paying attention to your students' own struggles um, within the, the, their academic space. And if, you know, going back to being a parent and, you know, we're really fortunate here in Metro Detroit, we're surrounded by a lot of great um, colleges and universities, community colleges as well. You know, if I was a parent wanting to seek out like a college tutor or something like that, where, where would, what the, because there's so many departments within a college or university Generally, Nicole, and I know every college or university is going to be different, but where would you direct a parent to? Like, what, who should they call or how, how would they go about you know, taking that first step? So, two places that I would recommend almost every university has some type of career center. And so, I just had a, a colleague, a friend of mine, our children went to preschool together. She had reached out to me you know, looking for students to, to work for her business. And so I directed her to our career center. So same thing for parents who are seeking tutors, I would contact the career center at that university and see if they know of any students who are seeking tutoring jobs. That's where I would start. Um, and then I've had some, you know, parents, if they know um, the university or the staff a little bit more closely, they may contact the tutoring center directly and so the tutoring center might be some, every title of that office may be called something different. They may call it um, the Academic Success Center. But if you ask for tutoring, you know, that's, that's usually the key word that you're wanting to seek out. Um, I've even had some students who, you know, um, high school students who tutor younger students as well. Um, so if you know of any of like your neighbor kids who are in high school, who are, you know, doing really well on a specific subject that maybe your fifth grader is struggling in, you know, you could always tap into some of the, the local high school students as well. Okay. And so I guess where I'd like to pivot now is kind of back to that first year of college and, you know, that, that trans- transition that you made from being, you know, getting people in the door to now helping kids once they're, you know, in, in, in their first year. What, what have you seen? Because whether you have the study skills, time management skills, test taking abilities, even if you have all that, that, that transition to, to that first year of college, especially, you know, if you're going someplace far away, um, can be really a daunting experience. Talk to us about how you work with kids during that, that first uh, year of college. Yeah, so at Purdue Northwest, our advising model is what we call appreciative advising. And what that means is really developing a relationship with students beyond it being a transactional relationship. And um, for some students, they don't know what an academic advisor is or what that purpose, um, you know, what that person's purpose is in their life. And so I always make sure, just like when I worked in admission, students and parents would enter my office and say, so who are you? And, you know, like, what are you, what are you exactly? And so for what I, you know, what I do in my role now is I just let the student know I'm here to partner with you to make sure that you are exploring the majors that, you know, tap into your goals, your values, your interests. Um, And so academic advisors are really there to partner with the students and they're the person behind the scenes that is doing regular check-ins with your student, um, whether it's progress reports, midterm grades, any miscellaneous questions or things that you know come up um, throughout the semester. I had a couple students earlier this week just stop by my office needing help with 
you know, they didn't know where the exam was for their class that day. They didn't get the information from the professor. So they were panicking. So really I'm, you know, I'm having to like do those critical thinking skills and things on the spot. I had another student who was just having a stressful week. And so my job is really to create that safe space for those students to know that if my door's open, you're welcome to come in with any like questions or concerns or maybe burdens that you have on your heart that day that you want to just, you know, for that second student, she just needed a moment to kind of vent a little bit. So that way she could go on with her day. Um, so, so it's much that, more than just academics. It's, it's yeah. very personal, emotional. Yes, absolutely. The, I had um, someone when I worked in admission, she did it. It was at a conference and I love the way that she described, you know, our role, not just only, you know, people working in admission, but this really taps into like, you know, faculty and advisors or anything. We're, we're the people who it's like when you're on a basketball team, not everybody can be the point guard. Not everybody can be the one making the buckets, right? And so my job as an advisor is I'm helping the student score that bucket or make that shot, you know, whatever. So I'm not going to be the one that's going to be the brain surgeon or the lawyer. I get to assist. So I'm the assist on the team, helping that student um, reach their goals. And so that's what I mean by partnering with them, you know, to be part of their success and having, that's like the best part of my job is just seeing the light bulbs go off. And making that transformational impact on a student's life rather than it just, it's more transformational as opposed to that transactional. Um, And just kind of being their person, you know, Um, so that way they can really stand on their own while they're in college. And so with exploratory advising, you know, at least at Purdue Northwest, we're not with them all four years as advisors. So once a student, you know, declares their major or is able to move on to their major, they're then assigned a major academic advisor and that person will, you know, see them through to graduation. So I'm really just kind of the front end of the advising house for students. But that's, I think that's the most critical is that first year that, that, you know, retention and persistence, it's usually within that first year for students. That's why a lot of, you know, institutions and higher ed, when they report out their student retention numbers, it's always freshman to sophomore, you know, retention. They want to see, that's where you see a lot of students drop off is after that that first year. And so I love that challenge of, of knowing that I'm going to be able to make that impact to help a student succeed, not just succeed in their first year, but persist and move on to their sophomore year as well. Um, so it really is about building those relationships, having regular check-ins with students. Um, I'm lucky enough that I have a small enough caseload in my advising that I'm not advising like 500 students. So I really can get to know my students by their name and not just, oh, who are you? You know, what are we talking about again today? So I think that's something that students pick up on is when you remember their name. Yeah, it it makes me think of this. I hadn't written down this question, but in hearing you talk about this, my question is, this is something, let me first start with a, probably a statement, then the, then the question, but from a parenting, parent standpoint, I don't think that anybody is really thinking about when they're looking at colleges, talking to somebody in the career service department and, or how academic advising works or how tutoring works or any of those, those um, uh, facilities or faculties that are available to them and I think that's probably a, a big miss on parents' part when they're looking at parents and kids, when they're looking at deciding what school to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when I, when I worked in admission and even when I talk to students now, when they're thinking about graduate school, I tell them you should definitely visit. And when you visit, obviously you may have a campus tour. It's usually led by a student, you know, at that institution but also seek out a faculty meeting or an academic advisor meeting so that way you can learn more about the major that you're interested in or the careers that you're interested in. Um, advisors, like I said, know a lot more of that back of the back of the house stuff. They know um, transfer credits as well um, and how, you know, if you're taking dual credits or AP courses, how are those scores going to translate? How are those credits going to translate at that institution? I feel like that's a big miss as well. I would get phone calls all the time from 
students when I worked in admission or parents or school, high school counselors saying, Johnny wants to take, you know, this AP course or this dual credit course. What are your thoughts? And I, my, my thing was always, um, if the student's, you know, a strong academic student, then absolutely. But if it's going to hurt their GPA in any way for chances of admission, that's where I feel like sometimes people, they just think, oh, if I take this dual credit or if I take this AP course, I'm going to have higher chances of admission. And for some institutions, maybe, but really they're looking at that, that GPA as well. Um, so that's something I always recommend students to consider. Um, but yeah, the transfer credits, I work with a lot of transfer students too. And just being aware of like, if you know you want to go a year or two at this institution, then transfer to this other institution, make sure you see how the, the dotted line connects from one to the other. So, so again, which, academic advisors would know that. Okay. So if you're, if, if a student comes to you and, and they know, or potentially know that they're going to, you know, transfer in a couple of years to some other institution, do you do you start working with them and potentially the other institution that they may want to 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 go to next? Is that yeah? So I get that question all the time because I'm I'm a you know basically like a satellite campus of Purdue, and so we get a lot of students who want to go on to West Lafayette, which is the main campus for Purdue. And my job, I always remind them, is to help them at you know Purdue Northwest first and foremost. Um, but I see it as also, you know, for me to do my due diligence um, for a student is to show them the resources and how to navigate those resources, such as a transfer equivalency database. Every institution has some kind of equivalency program or system, so they don't really need me, but I can show them how to use it. Um, so if they're taking, say, I know you're in Metro Detroit, so let's say they're at Oakland Community College taking you know, an English composition course, but they're going to, they're planning to take that course and go to Michigan State. They want to plug it in into Michigan State's transfer equivalency database. How does that specific subject, subject course number translate to Michigan State? Is it going to come in as their English composition course? Or is it going to be a free elective? Is it going to be uh, undistributed credits? Meaning um, that course doesn't come in as equivalent or equal to one of their specific courses exactly. And so, those, I, so, so going back to your question, I don't really, um, you know, prepare them for that, but I teach them how to understand and utilize those um, systems. And I always, you know, point them in the direction of, you know, if, like you mentioned, like if a parent was asking, uh, seeking out tutoring at the college, who did they go to? A lot of times families don't even know. So I let them know if you have questions about admission, you need to contact the admission office. If you have questions about transcripts, you know, contact the registrar office as well. And, and you mentioned every, every school has their own system or database for what right. credits they accept or don't accept. Right, right. And, if you, and I always tell students, if you can't find it, um, you know, I'm always willing to help you in, navigate there, find it on the website, you know, just so that way they're really, you know, my job is to help them take ownership of their college education and their experience. And so I think the more we can equip them with the knowledge and understanding of these credit hours that they're, you know, and courses they're taking and where they're going to take, you know, how it's going to take them and, you know, lead them to their major, that's really what we should be doing is partnering together to ensure that students have a successful college experience, regardless of where they're at. I, I think that actually nicely dovetails into my next question, which is what are some of the support services that college, you know, potential college students and parents don't know about that they should? I know we kind of touched on some things like if you're going to, you know, tour a school, stop into the career service center or something like that. But are there from from your you know academic experience over 13 plus years, what would you say are the the couple vital ones that people really need to students, parents need to pay attention to? Yeah, absolutely. So I know we talked about tutoring and SI sessions and career centers. Um, some others that are really important that I think sometimes um, students, maybe especially if they're first gen, meaning they're the first in their family to go to college, 
Um, they're not sure of what professor office hours are and what that means. And I always try to explain that in my class because I don't know what other classes will explain it in detail. But, you know, letting families know that professor hours basically mean if, if I post on my course syllabus, my office hours are Monday, Wednesday, Friday from noon to 2 p.m. That means my door is open. You don't have to schedule an appointment with me. You can stop in anytime with, you know, with any questions or concerns that you have. And I think for students, they're just not used to just being able to pop in to a professor's office hours. Um, they, 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 I'm like, I always tell them that professor's waiting for you to come in, <laughs> you know, with your questions. Um, so that's one. The other um, one that I'd recommend, and I have a, a good colleague of mine who is the director at Cornell is disability access centers. Um, and they have different, you know, names to them. And a lot of times students will say, well, I don't have a disability, but those accommodation centers, sometimes they're called access and accommodations. And a lot of universities have expanded this to, um, you know, students beyond, you know, coming in with an individualized education um, plan and IEP from their K through 12 experience, where they will help students with any accommodations and accommodations may be housing accommodations. Maybe you have health accommodations like a dietary um, I've had students who, you know, if they have low blood sugar, so they work with the, the cafeteria um, on campus to make sure that that's taken care of for them. Um, any other medical accommodations, like I had a student who was on crutches. So we had, you know, we had on-campus transportation, be able to pick them up and take them from one class to another, or just helping them get across campus. Um, but I mean, there's so many more accommodations beyond just what I think we're familiar with in the K through 12 system, which is like maybe ADD, autism, ADHD, you know, more than, than just what we think we're used to. So that's one that I always recommend students explore. Um, the other, I think a lot of universities are seeing wait lists for this is counseling centers. So mm. mental health mental is, health. A, yes. yeah, mental health is a growing concern for sure in higher ed. Um and I, I, you know, that's something I always encourage students to, to tap into that resource. As an academic advisor, I can speak to my role specifically. If I have a conversation with a student where I feel that I need to refer them to our dean of students office, um, I can put in a, a, a basically a referral or a concern a, um, report concern um, to the dean of students office. So a lot of times students and parents will, will, they'll hear dean of students and they assume it's kind of like a principal's office, you know, mindset. And I remind them that the dean of students is there to help advocate and support them and get them any additional assistance that they need um, beyond their office. So a lot of times if I, if, again, if I have a, a conversation with a student, I'll let the student know that I'm recommending that he or she um, reach out to the Dean of Students office about X, Y, or Z that we talk about and let them know that I'm going to refer them. And what that means is I'm going to fill out a student of concern report. And it may be, maybe the student shared that they're not, you know, they haven't been eating at home or um, they're, they seem depressed or something like that. I can do a student of concern report. Does so that again, information, Nicole, get back to the parents? Like, are you obligated to report that back to the parents or because they are, they are of age now or over, you know, 18, um, you know, HIPAA comes in and you, you, you can't tell the parents about things like that? Oh, it's a good question that I'm glad that you brought that up. So students, once they reach the age of 18 and they enroll in, um, you know, college, they're protected by FERPA law. And so at Purdue Northwest, we have um, proxy access is what we call it. And every institution calls it something different. But I always let students and families know if, you know, Johnny wants, you know, his parents or his guardians to have access to any of his information at the institution, he needs to give them proxy access. So if Johnny's, you know, um, family calls me and I can look them up and see that they have proxy access for academic record information, you know, that's where I can disclose that information. So students are protected by that FERPA law. Um, that's a that's a higher ed thing. Um, so that's, you know, that is the difference that I've seen in going from admission where I could talk to families all the time. And then once they enroll, I can't, you know, give them any specific information if they have not allowed their parent or guardian that information. So I always, you know, tell students, you know, you need to, if you want your parents to see your grades or, 
have access to your financial, at least your financial aid information. <laughs> if they're helping you financially, make sure you give them access to that. So if they call the financial aid office, whether it's about making a payment or something, they can have that a conversation. Okay. I know I only have you for a finite period of time. So I'm looking through my questions. Yeah, no problem. Uh, um, I, I think the next, the last big one I want to get to as far as focused on, on, um, on, on what you do, and then we'll get to my closing question is you, you're dealing with a lot of, you're, you're dealing with kids specifically that are undeclared. Correct. So what is, how do you help a student get from not knowing anything they want to do to some grasp of what they see their future career like? And I mean, I, trust me from from a person my own personal standpoint i think i changed majors four times in undergrad and then ended up now i'm in a field of financial planning wealth management that is, had nothing to do with my degree both my undergrad degree or my my um you know mba degree if you will um in finance and so it's i think there's a lot of pressure that's put on kids to make a decision but you know, when, when you're asking a 16, 17, 18 year old, um, you know, what they want to do when they grow up. I mean, I know plenty of adults that are 40, 50, 60 years old that are still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I know a lot of institutions have implemented some type of exploratory studies course. And so the course that I teach at Purdue Northwest is just that it's a first year experience course for exploratory students. Anybody can take it. You know, I've had some students who are in, you know, their health studies major, but they still take my class and they're like, wow, I think I want to add this minor or I think I want a double major. I'm so glad I took it. So it's a three prong approach in this course and that we do self-exploration, major exploration and career exploration. We kind of marry those three areas together. And so we do, you know, interest inventories and assessments. We partner with the career center staff. So my students have one-on-one meetings with a career center consultant um, talking about everything from internships to careers, goals, values. Um, we talk about um, their, you know, their transition, you know, what they thought about college. We talk about why college and really digging deeper into, you know, their purpose and being there. Because um, I think if they don't understand why they're in college and they definitely don't know what they want to study. Um And then part of the major exploration is, you know, we partner with our colleges within the university to have faculty, alumni, and staff and and current students come in and speak to students in our course um, specifically about the different majors, what they mean, what they can do with those majors, why someone would, you know, pursue that particular major. Um, So it just gives another dimension of seeing a major you know, on a website and, and reading a little blurb about it. Um, within that, we also teach students how to understand a degree map. Um, when I was in college, I didn't, I mean, that was a long time ago now, but um, I didn't really, there was no such thing as a degree map. And if there was, no one ever explained it to me. So yeah, I don't even um, know what that means. Right. So a degree map is essentially, you know, a lot of universities have implemented these um, beyond just like, here's your major and here are the courses you take. So a degree map, allows students to really see the big picture and say, okay, here are the courses that are required. So if they're looking at, say, a a finance major, so they would have their college, they'd have their general education, you know, block of courses that they would take along with their college of business core courses they would take. And then they would have their finance major concentration specific courses they would take. So they have those listed. That's great. But then students want to see, you know, parents especially want to see big picture. What does this look like over the course of four years, right? So they lay out, okay, first semester, you'll take these courses. Second semester, you take these courses and third course or third semester and so on. And so my job is to teach students how to understand that. It also goes over, you know, how many total credit hours are required for that major. Um, And we talk about that too. And a lot of times students, you know, I work with a lot of non-traditional students. So they're not always going to finish their degree in four years because maybe they have to take a semester off because, you know, they had a child or they had family responsibilities. They had to take some time off um, or they can only go part time because they're working full time as well. Um, and so I help them kind of map out what their degree map would look like. We give them a general one. That's great. And like I always tell my exploratory students, they're like, well, I should be taking these classes first semester. 
But I always remind them that maybe, you know, they they don't have a math course yet because maybe they didn't have an ACT or SAT score or the math placement exam score um, to start in a math course this first semester. But my job is to help them navigate that and ensure that they complete the courses that they need towards their major. It may be in a different order, and that's okay. A degree map is just to kind of give you an idea um, of where your courses should go, you know, what order they should go in. But a lot of them are like puzzle pieces. They can be moved around um, to different semesters. And so it just kind of, I remember when I was in college, people talked about the bingo sheet. And I never understood the bingo sheet. They're like, oh, you would take, you know, cross off this on your sheet. You've completed this requirement. I'm like, okay. I was one of those students, again, first gen. I just showed up to my advisor, my faculty advisor's office and said, what courses do I take next? And so she told me and I just signed up for them. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't really understand what I was doing or why I was doing it. Um, and then part of that class, when we talk about major exploration is we have students look at two different majors. So maybe they're looking at, health studies major and a biology major. And we have them map out their four-year plan. So, and what I mean by that is, let's say student A comes in with dual credits, because a lot of high school students enter college now with dual credits or um, college credits from their AP exam scores. So that really can kind of give them a head start on their college experience, which is great. Um, and so we kind of show like, okay, you have credit for this. So that means you can move on to this next course. Um, and so it helps them see what their four-year plan or their degree map would look like for themselves in two different majors. And the reason why we do two different majors, so students can see like, um, where they catch up within their major, um, cause maybe they're behind in math and science. If it's a math and science major, that they're looking at um, where do they catch up in their degree. And we show them th that they can, because I think a lot of times the pressure when students are not sure of what they want to study, um, they feel like they're not going to finish in time, right? There's always that, that race to the finish line. And I know parents would always stress that to me, but if Johnny doesn't know what he wants to study, he's not going to finish in time. And in time can mean something different to everybody. A lot of higher institutions report out six-year graduation rates as opposed to four-year graduation rates. Because again, we're working with a different population of students now, a different generation of students where, you know, they have a lot, a lot of different interests or very multi-passionate, so, or they're really undecided and that's okay. Um, and then the third part is that career exploration part. And again, like I said, we partner with the Career Center they choose a specific career to do their research paper on and tapping into other resources outside of the university. We use um, Occupational Outlook Handbook. It's a website that they can look at um, that also connects to like our own interest profiler assessment that we, you know, we have students do in the course. Um, we use um, a system called Handshake. I know a lot of universities in the yes. career center have Handshake. So yeah, my alma mater, Adrian College, has that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great system. Um, and so we teach them how to set up their Handshake account, what it means, what it looks like. That's um, also how they schedule their one-on-one -on -one meeting with the career center consultant. So how we help them in discovering their major um, is asking a lot of questions. Um, outside, you know, outside of just them taking this course, sometimes students will take the course and they're still stuck. And they're like, I have I still have no idea what I'm a major in. So then we look at, I ask them, well, what majors do you know, or what subject areas do you know that you are not interested in? So if we can start crossing some off, that helps narrow the list down a little bit more. Oh, so. got it. Well, I would, I know uh, we're, we're getting to my final question, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention Amanda Zelahowski, which is, which is how we met. So I am, I, I will have to uh, contact Amanda to let you know that let her know that we had this conversation because it has been tremendous and and, and even going through through this 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 segment, Nicole, like I probably have at least a, another half dozen questions I wrote down. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm sure that there's there's going to be more uh, follow up conversations to come. So, um, sure. but my my closing question that I ask all of my guests um, is, what is the best thing about being a parent. I know you've talked about, you have two young kids and, you're, and your husband's a fifth, uh, fifth grade teacher. So what is the best thing about being a parent for Nicole Martinez? Okay. So for me, my, so I have two boys, they are four and seven years old. So one on the brink of going on to kindergarten, the other one is in second grade. 
right now. So I would say is really just watching them grow into what they're meant to be. I love watching them explore all their interests and skills and just observing their talents evolve, you know, just not just like, you know, academics, because of course I'm a big academic, um, but I love cheering them along the way. They're, we're a big sports family. My husband played, you know, basketball in college and high school. And, and now my boys, like it's, you wake up in the morning and someone's throwing a ball or dribbling a ball. You got to watch where you're stepping. She might, you know, trip on a ball or something, but sports is something that I love watching them grow. And, you know, we, we definitely make sure that they understand that school comes first. Um, and so just overarching, I kind of like made some notes for myself is, you know, I've worked with hundreds of students over the years. And the best part of the work that I, I get to do is, is like I said earlier, watching the light bulb go off for them, seeing them get excited about the courses that they're in um, or internships that they get. Um, but the best part, and I've said it for my entire higher ed career, is watching those students walk across the stage at graduation, knowing that I was part of their journey. It, like even now, even if it were just for like a minute or just part of their journey and just being able to walk alongside them is the best part, especially like these exploratory students. And, and I obviously have a heart for like those first gen students, you know, when I'm with them at the, the most vulnerable part of their college experience, and their journey, I know that I got to help them prepare for that day, that graduation day. So, and I think my boys, the best part of being a parent is, um, exposing them to the whole college thing. And so they've grown up on both college campuses now and just seeing the work that mommy and daddy get to do, even like during the pandemic, seeing us on zoom and teaching our own classes. Um, it's just, it's really just watching your own children grow. And I think parents that I've worked with over the years appreciate that I'm a parent. And even though my kids are much younger, they just know that I get it and that I'm going to take care of their children as if they were my own. Well, I think that is a such a fitting way to uh, to wrap up our conversation, Nicole. I can't thank you enough for for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And as I mentioned, uh, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to more conversations to come. Well, you're very welcome, and it was a pleasure, and I enjoyed chatting with you. And I'm I welcome any and all questions that you might have after today. Thanks, Nicole. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.